It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 160 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and the Blahova-Jankalayev matchup to my Jamal Hill title aspirations. Handsome Nick John Bracha the third. How do you do, fella? It's good to be on with you. You know what? One week into the new year of competition between us, and I am lighting you up in the first round, peppering you with jabs, tenderizing your <laughs> body. I outpicked the shit out of you last week. I think we each had four points, actually. We had the yeah. same points, but you just, but I agreed with all of, with your, most of your underdog picks that were correct, and you disagreed with the majority of the, my picks that were correct. In fact, the only thing I got wrong, all right, your, your guy, Jimmy Flick, got annihilated, but um, yeah. the only fight, I, I a three-point rider on him. The only fight I got wrong was, like, a very, very disputed, controversial split decision, which I think I was correct, but whatever. We don't have to talk about the finer points of Caitlin Vieira. Rocky Pennington right now because it wasn't exactly fun to watch. But yeah, no joke. we're tied up going into the second week, and I am just I'm dude, I just want it. I want nothing more than to just destroy you in 2023. Yeah, I, I look forward. I love that energy, Nick, and that is the energy that's gonna carry you to victory. I, I believe in you, Nick. And and I'm excited about the fact that we're tied after the first week. Um I'm I'm curious to see which one of us pulls away from the other over time. Uh but yeah, in the meantime, two underdog picks I had. Two underdog picks I had that had they weren't high enough for a bonus, but I just want to call that. Yes, yeah, slight sl- sl- slight dog, dogs almost pickums. That's true. We disagreed on three fights. You got two of them correct. I got one of them correct. So, uh, so as far as the overall picks, you Cor- might have the correct. Oh, I don't, correct. I don't MMA, MMA decisions I thinks that I'm correct, but yeah, that, that is true. But honestly, if you rewatch that first round between, uh, but not that you know that's a fight anybody's like very excited to watch. But if you rewatch that first round. Um, between uh, between uh, who, who, who were the two, um, Raquel Pennington and Caitlin Vera, um, I would argue that th- th- you would lean toward Pennington. I thought she landed the much, much cleaner shots and, and made Vera miss a uh, lot. But, uh, yeah, but I'll give it a case, look. Nick, you just rolled into, the, you rolled into 2023 super overconfident, and you got pieced up <laughs> a little bit. So that's all I got to say. Nick, we are tied at four apiece. If you're going to call a draw a uh, piecing up, I'm I'm okay with that. And you know what? Maybe maybe the co-main event, Davis and Figueredo, has an argument to make that the draw in the first matchup should have gone his way, and we're going to get into that as well. But we're going to break down UFC 283, Teixeira versus Hill. This is a weird situation in which this main event was made in the last several weeks because Dana White didn't think that Blahovic on Kalaev was entertaining enough to warrant either of them getting another title shot. Um, a lot of folks, you know, thought that... Um, Uncle Ive deserved that, deserved that fight, and so we have this weird dynamic where the winner of this fight might still be considered the third best heavyweight in the world, depending on how things shake out. I love, I love when Dana White plays Gladiator. He's like sitting up, the, he's sitting up there in the box doing the thumbs up, thumbs down thing, liver, liver die based on the, uh, based Literally on, based, based on, on the whims game. of the slap king. You are not kidding. I don't love that personally, but uh, but I, I don't do know either. what you mean. It's it, it it is it is it is a dynamic that he can he has that kind of power. He can wield it. Um, and if you have a boring fight, it is much more frowned upon to him than if you have a more exciting matchup in which you domestically abuse your partner. But we're not going to get into too deep into that, Nikolai. I have the first pick this week. Um, and you know what? If we have time, we can discuss some MMA news, whether it be France Sanganu or or maybe last week's card a little bit at the end. But we are tight on time. We're going to dive right into this card. And my first pick, Nick, of this 15-fight card, I got to go with the Jailton Almeida-Shamil Abdurahimov matchup. 
Jilton Almeida is a monstrous favorite because he does something that a lot of Dagestan, elite Dagestani fighters do to people. He grounds them and he dominates them. And he usually submits them more often than not, which you don't see a whole lot of slick submission games from a whole lot of large men. Jilton Almeida is a guy that can pull that off. Look, the Shamil Abdurahimov of a few years ago who who you know knocked out Martin Terbura, maybe that guy had a shot at getting the upset here. I just don't like his chances at 40 or 41 years old at this point. Facing a hot prospect in Jelton Almeida, who, you know, after this hopefully is due for a step up in competition. Shamil Abdurahimov's like decent, decent stand up, low output stand up game is not going to be enough here. Jelton Almeida is going to slam him, he's going to pound him, and then he's going to submit him. And so I think this will be dominant. It should end in the first round. Yeah, I think uh, I think he went with the, the obvious first pick. Um, the only thing that I think is close to that, where I expect like that level of dominance, maybe you'll think I'm nuts here. But we've got the rare, very rare female featherweight fight between uh, Josanne Nunez and Zara Farn. Um, the fact of the matter is, the French fighter is not very good. <laughs> she's bigger. She's she's naturally bigger. She's six inches taller. She's got more reach. Um, you know, she's a striker, but she hasn't shown that effectively uh, in the UFC. And she's going up against a like a five-two like mini Tyson, a woman who is frightening. Who can KO people, and even though she's undersized here, I expect her to I expect her to touch that chin and for it to to not hold up. I think that Nunez is uh, far and away uh, the favorite, and I expect her to end this fight violently. I don't think that Farron has the has the tools. Yeah, look, women's featherweight is a weird division where you can have just one decent skill area, and that'll propel you pretty far in a division of maybe four or five women, including the champion Amanda Nunes. I agree with you on the pick. Um, am I as confident? Uh, I, I would say there are other fights that I'm a little bit more confident in than this one, huh. um, just because it's it's hard to rely on like Josiane Nunes, who's two and zero in the UFC. Once went to a decision with a jobber and got a quick knockout in the first one. She's powerful. There's no doubt about it. But Zara uh, Firen, like she she has some decent. The elements to her game, she just can't keep it together for more than a couple of minutes. And I tend to think you're right. I, I tend to think Josiane Nunes is going to get a knockout here. So uh, I, I'm not in disagreement with you at all there. My next pick is going to be in the matchup. I think I've got to go with the matchup between Jessica Andrade and Lauren Murphy. Jessica Andrade is a giant favorite here. Um, I, the oddsmakers agree that she should be a big favorite. Lauren Murphy has some of the chops to put a g- good game together here. The problem is this matchup. She doesn't do well against much more athletic women, women who uh, I think like to some extent she looks up to, as we saw with Valentina Shevchenko. Um, and what we've seen with Jessica Andrade is even though she did get beat up by Valentina Shevchenko, she's able to smoke uh, opponents at least as well as Valentino Shevchenko has when they have common opponents. And sometimes even the more, like, on paper, more difficult opponents for a lot of the other women in this division. So I like I like Jessica Andrade with her hyper-aggressiveness, with her power, with the fact that the Brazilian crowd is going to be behind her. Lauren Murphy, who has some really good stand-up chops. She's not super fast. Um, she doesn't necessarily piece high enough combos together, and she's not super comfortable in the pocket to exchange with Andrade, given the power discrepancy. So even though Lauren Murphy's tough, and she's developed a tremendous amount over the course of her UFC career, you know, starting but tough. I like Jessica Andrade here to get a resounding victory in Brazil. Yeah, I like uh, I, I like her too. Um, <coughs> I just think that Lauren Murphy is such a better fighter than um, Zara, Zara Farron. I, I hear that. Yeah, it's just I'll, Jessica Andrade just yeah. leagues above Josiane Nunes as well, but yeah, also yeah. has the same kind of power. But I do hear you. Mm-hmm. It's it, you know they're uh, they're interchangeable in many ways. So uh, for the next fight, I'm gonna go with uh, G Rod. Hopefully, his vein will not be his like arteries won't be exposed in this fight. The last fight that happened, and he still won. Uh, Gregor Rodriguez is a bad motherfucker. He's a, he's a really tough dude. 
extremely durable, really good striking, uh, pretty strong everywhere. And he's going up against a late replacement uh, fighter in Bruno Fajaya. He was supposed to fight, I believe, uh, Brad Tavares. And instead, he's fighting a guy who had a contender series win. Coming off the contender series and and getting a draw of, uh, of, of somebody as good as, as Gregory Rodriguez, a guy that put down uh, the dangerous city, Andrew Kawani, who put down Julian Marquez, like... This guy's tough, and I don't. I don't think on short notice that uh, that Bruno Fajaya is is the guy that's going to uh, that's going to stop the G train. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on the pick. Um, you might be slightly more confident than I am, just because Rodriguez is extremely skilled as he is, literally everywhere. As hard as he hits, as really good as his Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is, he doesn't always come in with the best game plan to give himself the highest odds. Um, but I think despite that, right, like if he stands up here with uh, w- with uh, Bruno Ferreira, who I believe took this fight on a few weeks' notice, um, I, th- I think he's realistically going to do okay, but Bruno's like, he- he's dangerous from there. He's got some serious slams too. But I tend to think you're right. I think even if he uh, Gregory Rodriguez takes the more difficult path and doesn't go for top position and takedowns, takes the risk standing, I think he should be okay there because he's fairly durable. But there's there's more risk here than the minus three thirty or so odds suggest for Gregory Rodriguez. Um, I do think you're making the right pick though in in choosing him. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Gilbert Burns and Neil Magny. Um, Neil Magny shows that he has the ability over these kind of underdeveloped guys, right? These guys that don't have the the wherewithal, they don't have the craft to to fight through a tough fight and keep their composure enough to fight at the same pace, at the same rhythm the entire matchup. They give Neil Magny a little bit of a, a foot in the door, and Neil Magny busts that door way open, even if he was being dominated against them. And we saw that when Neil Magny fought D-Rod, uh, Daniel Rodriguez, in his last matchup, where Daniel Rodriguez was piecing him up at will, just touching him every time he wanted to. And Neil Magny seemed to have no answer until suddenly Rodriguez started to get tired, and Neil Magny found that opening and finished him in that third round. I don't think that's likely to happen against Gilbert Burns. As much as Neil Magny's a big welterweight and Gilbert Burns has at one point come up from 155, Burns is going to be way faster. He's going to hit way harder. His offensive and defensive technique standing is way better. He's gone five rounds or at least had multiple five-round training camps. He's beaten some of the very elite in this division, including guys that are a league or two over Neil Magny, uh, guys like Stephen Thompson, Wonderboy. And Neil Magny's takedown defense has not, never been great. He doesn't take shots well. He His chin is starting to go at this kind of later point in his career, this later age in his, in his high 30s. And Gilbert Burns has the power to hurt him standing. He has this technique to hurt him standing. And more importantly, the ground game is a huge disparity. The way that Neil Magny gets ragdolled at times by elite grapplers, and I don't mean elite by the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys in the world. I mean, like, just some really solid black belts like RDA. Gilbert Burns can do more to Neil Magny than RDA, and RDA is another 155 that came up to 170 and, and destroyed Neil Magny with serious grappling chops. I think Gilbert Burns is the better MMA grappler. I think he's got uh, more of an advantage standing, and he's going to do just fine in a three-rounder against Neil Magny here. Yeah, I mean, with the, at the three-point opportunity, I had considered taking the flyer on, um, Man, on Magny um, for three points. But the more I thought about it, it's just like this is the kind of fight that Magny loses. He can't use um, – it's like his fights against, you know, against Lorenz, Lorenz Larkin. He's not going to be able to repeat what he did against Hector Lombard because Gilbert Burns doesn't gas like that. Um, I just think that, like – over three rounds, he's not going to be able to tire Burns out. He's not going to be able to do his like dominant top game thing. Um, and Burns is just you know better everywhere. Like, would it be the most shocking thing in the world 
if Magny keeps him out of his rhythm and somehow ekes out an ugly decision. It's happened. It's happened a lot. I don't think it happens here. I think this that Burns is is kind of Magni kryptonite. So even for the three-point rider, I, I wouldn't take it. There with you, man. What's your next pick? I'm going to go... I just really like Terrence McKinney. <laughs> I'm gonna go. He's fighting one of two brothers uh, that are on the card, and um, he's fighting uh, Ismail Bonfim, uh, whose brother Gabriel is fighting uh, Munir Lazez. Uh, and whereas I think Gabriel's got a uh, with his boxing prowess may have a good shot against Lazez, I think that McKinney, especially in that you know first round and a half. Um, is just is is really really tough, and he's going to go down there. Uh, if it goes, you know, if it goes into the third round, I get a little bit of concern. But I think that McKinney should be able to finish this early. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you on the pick. I mean, Terence McKinney, on top of everything else, has got a lot of UFC experience, and even though Ismail Bonfim, Bonfim, nobody should be doubting this guy. He's eighteen and three. He's beaten some pretty solid opposition on the way up, and so he's not a guy that's good going to, like, in many cases, be run over by a UFC vet, but McKinney's got serious power early. I actually think that Bonfim has a great chance of doing really well if he just gets past the first round. For that reason, I wouldn't have picked this um, nearly this soon, but I, I, I guess I see where you're coming from. McKinney is just bombastic early. He's got extreme, extreme power in his hands. Even though he's not the most technical, he doesn't make the best decisions, he unloads in the first round, and usually most guys can't get through that first round to survive it, to actually take over later. But again, if you look at their record, Terrence McKinney, 13-4, and four, Ismail Bonfim, 18-3. and three. Bonfim's got a real, real shot at getting the win here, and he might even, I could be wrong, he might be the slightest, slightest favorite here. Um, I'm, I'm going to agree with you just because of the uh, experience uh, the experience situation. Here's the thing, though. This is in Brazil, and Ismail, I believe, is Brazilian. Is that correct, as far as you know, Nick? Yes. If he is, in fact, Brazilian, he's going to get so yes, much he support. He's going to get so much from support from that. Uh, from that crowd that I that I would not at all be shocked that that is kind of the thing that makes up for the experience differential here. But McKinney's been in there with higher level opposition, so I definitely see where you're coming from with that pick. I think I think it's a fair one to make. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Tiago Moises and Melquizel Costa. I may be mispronouncing Costa's name. Costa took this fight on a couple weeks' notice uh, since Tiago Moises' original opponent ended up pulling out. And look, Miguel is really, really good standing. He's nasty standing up, but he doesn't have the best stand-up defense, uh, best takedown, excuse me, defense. And I think that that's something that American top team is going to put together the right game plan for Tiago Moises in Brazil to take advantage of that. And this is one of the rare Brazilian versus Brazilian matchups on this card. But again, we've got one guy who's fought at the very highest level who's kind of on a comeback tour after having been rejected by a couple of those very elite guys at the very top of the division. Although it's arguable whether Joel Alvarez is elite. Certainly Islam Mahachev is, who was able to submit him in the fourth round. But that's the thing. Tiago Moises went to the fourth round with the best lightweight on planet Earth. And yeah, he wasn't super competitive. It wasn't a back-and-forth fight. But not very many people are making it that late in a fight against Islam Makhachev anymore. He's finishing guys left and right. Um, and, and it took that long for him to get finished by him. I think that's to his credit. He's got really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's got decent stand-up. His stand-up is improving. And he's got he's picked up some pretty decent wins over uh, along the way uh, over guys like Michael Johnson and Bobby Green. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to go with uh, Tiago Moises to get the win here, but if if uh, Costa can keep himself from backing himself up to the fence where he's probably going to get taken down, which he tends to do, if he can keep it standing, he can do just fine here in a similar way that Joel Alvarez was able to finish uh, Tiago Moises. Costa's got that level of talent standing up. I just don't expect him to be able to keep it standing. So Moises on your for your pick. 
Yes. I'm uh, I'm going to go, even though I picked against one Bonfim, I'm going to pick Gabriel Bonfim uh, because I know he's got really, really good boxing, and I don't think that Lizza is, is busy enough. Um, I also think that if he gets pressured and the fight is taking place at boxing range, um, which is where I think Bonfim is going to force it, Lizza is not going to be able to do his thing. Um and and kickbox the way and kickbox the way that he wants to. He's one of those guys where like there's certain kickboxers where if they don't if they're not fighting a, a kickboxing range against other really technical kickboxers, they have trouble adjusting or getting going. Um, I could see him uh, kind of getting outboxed, uh, particularly if Bofim can make can dirty box and get this fight uh, up against the cage and out of the middle of the octagon. Well, that, that's part of the issue is that Munir Laziz presumably is going to pressure forward and try to put Bonfim on his back foot. They have similar number of fights, uh, 13, actually 13 fights apiece, except Laziz has a couple of uh, losses. But he's been competing at the UFC level for a little while. And he's got a couple of decent wins um, and a couple of losses that maybe don't look awesome on the resume, too, to be fair. Um, I think I'm going to end up, this is in Brazil, and, and I know that gives Bonfim an on-paper advantage here i think i'm gonna lean toward munir laziz plus that plus like 150 160 range i think it's a two-point opportunity so i'm gonna disagree unofficially here even though i know this isn't like this isn't my pick in our competition but i see where you're coming from i see why you picked a brazilian in brazil who's undefeated and seems to be coming from a family of talented fighters my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Cody Stamen and Luan Luis Lacerda. This is a banterweight matchup. Lacerda took this fight uh, a very, very late, I think two weeks notice as well. And here's the thing. Lacerda has excellent, excellent, excellent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But his stand-up is not up to par, and his wrestling is not that great. And Cody Stamen is a great wrestler whose stand-up has come a long way. And from top position, he could do okay on the ground too against most people. I think Stamen's going to put together the right kind of game plan to keep this standing. It's hard to bet on a non-Brazilian. Um, in this kind of situation where literally the crowd is going to be chanting for him to meet death in that octagon. I tend to think Stamen has the experience and the wherewithal to, to piece together a win here. If not, then maybe Luan Luis Lacerdo is a very, very serious prospect to watch because him picking up one win here would be a big deal. Yeah, I think, I think Stamen is going, to be, uh, is going to be a bit too durable, but we shall see. Um, looking at... I think I'm going to pick the curtain jerker and go with... Um, uh, darn it! Closed my uh, my window. I'm gonna go with uh, Seaman Oliveira, um, the Brazilian fighter, who I think is going to be able to submit uh, the Peruvian Daniel Marcos. You think lo- you think he'll end up? Uh huh. Yeah, I like. I mean, Oliveira got beat by Tony Gravely, but it was sure was fun to watch. He's very he's very capable, um, and I think it, I think against this level of competition, he should. Um, he should be able to, you know, use his slick groundwork to snatch a choke. I think realistically, you're probably right, but I think uh, underestimating Daniel Marcos is is the wrong way to go. Now, I don't blame you for making this pick, especially at this point in the competition. I just have very little confidence, given like I don't know how these guys are going to react to being on that UFC stage. I'm not sure if Daniel Marcos is Brazilian, actually, but I know Simon Oliveira is. So, so if one, if Mar- only Marcos is, Peru- is Peruvian, I believe. Peru? Oh, that's right. He's the other Peruvian fighter. Uh, technically, Valentina Shevchenko being being one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna agree with you on the Simon Oliveira pick, but not a whole lot of confidence in this kind of curtain jerker level fight that you know barely belongs to the UFC stage we're going to see if either of these guys has has the the kind of wherewithal to make it through um, make it far enough in this division to maybe become a player um, next I'm going to take and this is where things get a lot harder I think the rest of these matchups are much more difficult to pick um, I think I think I'm gonna go with 
I'm going to go with a two-point swing, knowing that this has major risk and you can't rely on either of these fighters. In the Johnny Walker-Paul Craig matchup, I think I'm going to take Paul Craig because Johnny Walker's takedown defense sucks. Um, now, Paul Craig's ability to take punishment sucks, right? He doesn't react well against any hit at all, and Johnny Walker hits incredibly hard. But Johnny Walker, we've seen him be super low output. We've seen him walk away with a submission in his last matchup against the guy who's really on the on the very bottom end of his career, seemingly, um, in uh, Ian Kutelaba. But, you know, this is, he's not catching a submission over Paul Craig unless something just insane happens. Paul Craig can get beat up for rounds and then find a submission against these this level of opposition. I tend to think I gotta lean his way, especially for two points. So I'm gonna take Paul Craig to catch a submission on Johnny Walker for two points, knowing that like anything could happen in this fight, and including them just standing in front of each other doing absolutely nothing for the entire three-round period. Uh, so Paul Craig was a bonus. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, I got the same pick. I probably should have made that. That was a mistake. Um, now that uh, you said that, I'm guaranteed to lose that pick. I, I you will see. I will. I will recall this when we record our next episode. <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna go with the co-main event. I've, I really thought that in the last fight, Brendan Moreno um, did not fight a disciplined fight. I think he felt with he fought with his ego a bit much. He wasn't as technical as he needs to be, and he's never going to be the stronger guy. He's got to. He really has to be dialed in to beat Figueredo, and he did that once before. Now, what we saw in the last fight, combined with um, everything that's been happening at at James Krause's gym. Um, where Moreno trained for for a while and for I believe a, at least a few of these a few of these title fights right like I, I question uh, I question where his his head is I know he's the younger fighter but I I believe that Davison Figueredo coming out of the last fight um, has the edge I think he's I think he can be more technical uh, I think he's probably ultimately a little bit. Uh, more durable. I think he had mental lapses um, to some degree during the draw and certainly during the loss. And <clears throat> I don't think he's going to let that happen again. I think that last win uh, got him over the hump. And while he's 35, which is a little a little old for a flyweight, um, I see him uh, taking a big step towards you know, towards at least being this the you know the second best flyweight ever because Cejudo didn't really compete like all that long or that much in it. It's hard for me to rank him number two under, under Demetrius Johnson. Um, but I think, if, I think what if Figueredo wins this fight, what he's been able to accomplish in this quadrilogy quadrilogy will, uh, uh, is pretty tough to beat. So here's why I am uh, like, I'm much less confident going into this pick than I originally thought that I would be when looking at this matchup before I did research. Right. Davidson Figueredo, um, trained with, uh, fight ready with Henry Cejudo and the, and the crew there, and, and you know, that was to his credit. That's where he did really well against Moreno was when he had the training camp with those guys, right, in, that, in the third matchup between these two guys. He arguably won the first matchup. I think it was a point deduction that ended up making that a draw. And, uh, and you know, there was no winner decided on that one, which is why we're going into the fourth matchup here. Thing is, Davidson Fergato stayed in Brazil, presumably at least partially because this, this, ha- this fight is happening in Brazil. He's trained with a team that I, I can't recognize a single person except for his brother, and we all know his brother's not a very good you know, n- not at all an elite level fighter. And so I have concerns about the game plan that he's going to come in here with, uh, about the training partners that, that he's had. Whereas Brandon Moreno is also in a weird flux when it comes to his coaching, right? He had trained with James Krause um, in Glory MMA and Fitness leading up to that last, uh, at least the Kaikara France matchup. 
And so he switched teams and, it, you know, it worked out. Like, there are some kinks to work out usually when you switch teams and depending on the level of opposition is what kind of decides whether that kink, those kinks are going to be a big factor. It wasn't big enough of a factor against, um, against that level of opposition because it's not Davidson Figueredo. He switched to 4 to 7 May for this camp because no fighters trained by James Krause are welcome to fight in the UFC at this point. And so if he's going to train with 4 to 7 May, a new team, a team that's not used to having championship-level fighters against uh, under Saif Saoud, who's a good coach, to be fair, but again, not proven at that level, I have some doubts and concerns there too. Now, who do I prefer? Uh, Brandon Moreno training it with Saif Saoud. By the way, who may have tried to, probably had to change his camp mid-camp because of all the stuff that happened with James Krause over the last couple of months. Um... Do I trust Saif Saud over the team that Davidson Figueredo fought with? Yes. But on paper, all else being equal, Davidson Figueredo should have the edge, which is, I assume, why he picked him. I'm concerned about the, the I'm concerned about his training situation. Um, I, I'm going to edge Davidson Figueredo because this is in Brazil, and I think, you know, if for some reason he's under condition or something, hopefully they'll give him enough energy, the crowd will, in order to finish the fight fairly strong. But I think finishing strong is going to be important here. The odds of one of these guys picking up a clean finish is not likely. We saw that in the second matchup between them where Moreno basically ran through Figueredo. Figueredo looked like a fraction of himself, and I think weight cut was a factor there. And so the weight cut is going to kind of help me decide where I'm going to lean on this fight, and I'm, and I'm going to pay attention to the weigh-ins when it comes to this one. Figueredo coming, you know, coming looking fresh and great at that weigh-in shows that he's prepared, shows that he's in a great place, and so easier to lean toward him. But if he's been training with a mediocre team, he hasn't had the training partners of the coaches, he hasn't had the conditioning drills, he hasn't had the the just elite weight-cutting protocol he might just struggle in this one. And so that's going to be the decider for me. I get where you're coming from and picking Figueredo. It's just after finding out all this stuff about their different training situations, I have serious concerns about both guys. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup. This is where it gets really, really tough because the rest of these matchups are really difficult to pick from. Um, this is going to be the last pick that I'm making. So i got to make a decision whether to pull the trigger on a two-pointer potential or... Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and pick Mauricio Hua to beat Ihor Pretoria for two points. Mauricio Hua, plus 175, he looks like a shell of a shell of his former self. This is my first favorite fighter in MMA. I basically came in and watched the sport, initially really got, got into pride before the Ultimate Fighter when Shogun was just wrecking havoc on that 205-pound division in pride. And... Like, man, seeing him bust all through some of those elite guys was incredible on his way to the to, to that title. And he's come a long way from there. He came back and won the UFC title after having a rough patch when he first came back. Lost to guys like Forrest Griffin, right? Won the UFC title by knockout over a previously undefeated... Um, uh, who's the karate fighter, Nick, who he knocked out with ground and pound? Leonardo Machida. And here in this situation, we have... Hua, who's a fraction of his former self, going up against the guy who's 0-1 in the UFC, who got just battered in his last matchup against Nikolai Nogamariano. Do I think Nogamariano would probably beat Shogun? Probably. Do I think Ihor will? Especially coming off of, and I know it's been about six months since he got battered by Nogamariano, but he got absolutely destroyed by that second round. He started off semi-competitively and slowly got roughed up, lost heart, lost the will to win, lost the will to stay in there anymore. And he got absolutely roughed up. And so I'm going to go with Shogun Hua because I think in Brazil where he's getting bathed by the crowd where Shogun Hua has the option of going for takedowns and he can keep that top position. We've seen it time and again. He'll go for ground and pound from that guard and he's fairly effective from there, maybe somewhat effective from there at this age. I'm going to I'm gonna take a rider for two points on Shogun Hua. Maybe I'm, like all else being equal, I probably would have edged just about anyone except for Shogun in his final fight in his career. This is going to be his retirement fight, but 
I'll take a two-point rider on him, knowing that the two-point rider from last week did not pan out for me. Cool. Um, I'm going to go with the main event then. Listen, like... Uh, who, who would you pick, sorry, in the Hua Pretoria mm, matchup? I guess Shogun. Okay. Um, in the main event, this could come back and bite me, but the fact of the matter is, as good as Jamal Hill is, and as, as much power as he has, he's not Nganu, and he's not Rumble Johnson, who's the only man to ever, like, just obliterate, you know, Glover. Like, Glover is still is still a durable guy. Um, he proved that in the Yuri Prohaska fight. We thought it would be... I thought it, I thought he was going to get, you know, beat up. And he he took damage. He kept his head about him. And he, and he won that first round. And he bullied Jerry a bit. Um, Jamal Hill has one path to victory in this fight. Glover Teixeira has, like, probably three paths to victory uh, in this fight. And I have to... If... If Glover gets out of the first round or does well in the first round and gets out of it, I, I feel like the fight is is going to be his to lose. Um, if he can get that first takedown, um, I don't know that he'll is he going to be able to get back up. Like, yes, there is the chance that that Glover is going to get knocked out. Um, but I'm going to bet one more time on the old man, and that might be my heart. But um, you know, I I did not think he'd be able to deal with Prashaska. And, of course, he lost that fight, but he more than held his own. Uh, and I think that, G- I think that Jiri uh, is, a, is a, much, uh, uh, a much more dim- a multidimensional fighter compared to Hill. Yeah, there's no doubt he's got a lot more dimensions to his game. He's got a lot of five-round experience, including in an absolute war with who should be the current champion, Yuri Prohaska. And he looked good up until literally the last minute of that fifth round, right, where he was on his way to beating... A really, really tough out for him, especially in retrospect. Whereas in this matchup, you're right, he's going against going up against Jamal Hill, who we've seen he's had a really good UFC run, only one loss in the UFC, but that one loss was on the ground via submission by Paul Craig off of his back. He made a bad IQ mistake thinking that he could hang with him on the ground, and he was wrong, right? And then we saw him run through Johnny Walker and Jimmy Crew without putting any effort in and without really getting in, and I should say any effort. He put in a, a couple of minutes of effort but combined, but... What we didn't see him is really get him getting experience. Now, he got plenty of experience in that four-rounder against Tiago Santos, but he looked pretty terrible in that matchup. And if Tiago Santos is going to get multiple takedowns on you, and yeah, Tiago Santos is not great at holding people down, Glover Teixeira can get takedowns on you. Even though, um, even though Hill has a good get-up game, I tend to th- agree with you about, about Glover. Glover in Brazil particularly. Glover, Glover, who you know was in great shape for a five-rounder about a month ago, who now is uh, kind of had to dive right back into a training camp shortly thereafter. He was already in great shape, whereas Hill, who struggled when it come to, came to his cardio in a major way against Thiago Santos in a relatively low-paced fight, he's now coming into this five-rounder on several weeks' notice. So I tend to agree with you. I think that uh, Hill can get an early knockout. But we've seen Glover survive that time and time and time and time again. And I think this is a situation in which it's likely going to happen again, especially in Brazil, where Glover's going to get a tremendous amount of support from that crowd. Um, this is the pick that I'm obviously much more confident in than that Shogun Hua fight, and that's the alternate pick I was going to make up now for that one. I just went with the two-point rider just to kind of throw a, throw a curveball. But but I, I, I tend to think you're right. I think these odds could be an opportunity. 
Um, Glover Teixeira by finish is entirely possible. He can ground and pound him. He can get that rear naked choke. He's an expert at it. Um, he can get that arm triangle choke. He's an expert at that. Jamal Hill, as he's tired in that third, fourth, fifth round, he could be right for the picking, but Teixeira has to survive early for that to even be a possibility. I'm in agreement with you, man. I think we both made some pretty solid picks. We've only got one fight left, and this is going to be a replacement in case any fights pull out, and realistically, something's going to not work out between tonight and fight uh, today and fight night. So, Worley Alves versus Nicholas Dalby. What is your impression of that matchup, man? Um, well, you go first, because I just made that last pick. That's fair. Um... My initial thought was to give Nicholas Delby the edge because he survives the early going. He's always a slow starter. He always looks rough in, in the beginning and then starts to take over, especially against the guy who's known for getting tired and Worley Alves. Worley Alves is extremely dangerous early. He's coming off of a, a first-round knockout over over an opponent that I thought was going to beat him. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with this is crazy. I'm going to stick with Nicholas Dalby knowing that Alves is going to have the support of the crowd. It's just Dalby just needs to make it through the first round, and this fight should, on paper, be his. And he's going to make Alves work, but he's going to put himself in danger. And the Brazilian crowd might uh, kind of motivate Alves to get a finish in that first round if he does buzz Dalby at some point. Um, but I'm going to edge Dalby just because he's the little train engine that could, right? He just keeps coming back from a rough first round, almost getting finished in the first round. And if he doesn't do that, then he's just simply losing the first round. It's one or the other. He doesn't tend to lose fights that go the long haul. Uh, I'm going to give the slight edge to Nicholas Dalby, knowing this is in Brazil. Um, I'm going to go with Alves, but I reserve the right to change my mind uh, as if, it, if it ends <laughs> up being in there. Yeah, sure. My first pick was Jelton Almeida over Shamil Abdurahimov. Second pick was Jessica Andrade over Lauren Murphy for me. Third, my pick was Gilbert Burns over Neil Magny. And I was the most confident in these three matchups, so I'm glad I was able to uh, nab them. You got some good picks too, though. Uh, my next pick was Thiago Moises over uh, Mal- Malquise Costa. And my fifth pick was Cody Stamen over Luan Luis Lacerda. Sixth, I took Paul Craig to be Johnny Walker for two points. Uh, to, you know, rolling the dice on that one. And and another roll of the dice, Mauricio Hua over Ihor Pretoria for two points, even though, I, you know, I assume that Pretoria is probably going to smash him. I got to take that two-point rider. Your first pick was Josiane Nunes to beat Zara Fern. Second, he took Gregory Rodriguez to beat Bruno Ferrero. Third, he took Terrence McKinney to beat Ismail Bonfin, which I was not very confident in at all either way, but I'm very. this is going to be an exciting fight for sure. Your fourth fi- pick was Gabriel Bonfim to beat Manir Laziz. Fifth, you took Simon Oliveira to beat Daniel Marcos. Your sixth pick was Davidson Figueredo to edge Brandon Moreno. And your final pick was Glover Teixeira to beat Jamal Hill. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting fight card. Is it a phenomenal fight card? No, but there's a bunch of names that you're familiar with. There's a bunch of, like, promising prospects coming into rough matchups, which is always going to be interesting. So the Brazilian crowd is going to make this seem so much more exciting than a fight at the apex. So I'm, I'm going to be glad to have a boisterous crowd involved here. Um, this should be some interesting stuff, man. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm um, excited any, for it. Uh, any thoughts quickly on the, on the situation with, uh, with Francis Ngannou and the UFC, Francis Ngannou being quote unquote released by the UFC because he chose not to take their contract uh, what are your impressions of that, man? I mean, they've got the right to, uh, you know, offer what they want to offer. But the Dana White's I, I, this, my my thoughts aren't particularly original. It's what everybody else is saying. It's that you know Dana White suggesting that Ngannou doesn't want to fight elite competition. Uh, you know, he's got a bad knee. Is is over three hundred pounds? I don't know. He looks pretty fucking good on his Instagram page right now. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a big loss for the UFC. 
I think that um, is one of their only kind of like mu- like must watch knockout artists, and and a heavyweight no less. So the baddest man on the planet, definitively, um, just left the company. But you know, white tar and feathering him on the way out is just like it's like what's the you know what's the point? It's signature Dana White. He's a promoter, and he's going to de-promote anybody that doesn't belong to the promotion. He's going to promote the people that, that work for him. He did it to everybody from Fedor to Ngannou to maybe not Nate Diaz because Nate Diaz, you know, left on a, on a positive note. But it's just the way that he does business, man. I'm not, uh, I'm not that excited for Gone versus Jones. I just – I don't uh... – Well, I'm definitely intrigued, man. You're not intrigued I mean, by that match. I mean a, a little bit. I just the, – here's the fact of the matter. John Jones is a terrific wrestler. He's a terrific wrestler, and Gon does not have KO power, right? And Jones is going to be much is been been you know two hundred fifty pounds for a few years now. I I just think you know I I I worry that Gon is going to end up on his back and is going to you know is going to look like Houston Alexander like against a, a real jujitsu player. Um, Jones is so crafty with all those chokes. And Gon did not look good grappling against Nganu, who was who is, you know, in that aspect of the game is slow and was on a bad leg and doesn't have great technique. John Jones has grappling technique, wrestling technique, and grappling technique to beat everybody. So if you're com- if you're coming with a big hole in that area, I just I think you're in, I think you're in trouble. I think the John Jones that had a lot of trouble taking Dominic Reyes down. That John Jones, the the John Jones that had a lot of trouble with Tiago, uh, Tiago Santos. Uh, Maheta, yeah, that that John Jones. I think he loses to Gon, but who knows which version of him comes back? Is he is he like is he kind of remotivated and a whole new version of himself a couple of years off, or is he going to come in rusty? As he's been training with Fight Ready, and there's some good coaching there. Does he have the training partners that are really going to give him the kind of challenges that Gon is going to give him at that size? I don't know, man. John Jones. Historically, has a lot of trouble with large men, fellow large men. This is a I larger mean, man who is at least as athletic. So, did you, did like, you, all I'm saying is, I don't, mm-hmm. did you like the Go way ahead. that Imov, did you like the way that Imovov looked coming out of that camp? No, <laughs> no. To, and and you're making a fair point, but Gan is more special than Imovov is as just like an athlete, as a fighter. I don't disagree with you. Not the greatest camp on planet Earth. If you're going to train in France, it should be with uh, with that team. Don't get me wrong, but. But uh, what are the what are the is it the MMA factory? I can't remember the name of it. But but I don't disagree with you. Like definitely some coaching uh, concerns about that team. But and, and you're right. If John Jones can consistently get takedowns, easily the fighter says, can he get takedowns against a much much larger man who's an expert at keeping his range and his distance? Um, listen, maybe if Nganu could do it on one knee, maybe John Jones can do it on on, on both legs. Um, and to be fair, we know that overall the level of competition is the lowest at heavyweight, right? Or lowest at least among the men's divisions. Um, whereas light heavyweight is not that much better, dude. And John Jones was struggling on his way out with some medium competition. Now. I think when John Jones is motivated and he takes his opponent seriously, he's much more dangerous. He's more likely to be on the juice, uh, like we've seen against Daniel Cormier and, and Gustafson that second time. But when he's not motivated, he's not as effective. He was motivated for Ghana, I believe that. Is he going to be? Uh, I'm sorry, he was motivated for Ngannou. Is he going to be as motivated for Ghana? I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure, right? And I'm questioning all of that. So all I'm saying is not that Ghana is going to dominate John Jones. It's possible, by the way. He keeps it standing, keeps it at his range. He's a much more skilled fighter standing up. Um, as long as he's not too worried about the takedown and able to effectively defend it. Um, the question is, 
will will John Jones be able to compete with a much larger man? And he is same height, but he's much larger physically. He doesn't have to bulk up to be 255 pounds, right? Um, John Jones, with how skinny his legs still are, I'm, I'd be surprised if he's a, a solid, clean, like all muscle and, and conditioned 250 pounds. Uh, I, would, I would guesstimate he's more in that 240, 235 range. In any case, um, I, I just think that all these variables make it an intriguing matchup that could go either way on paper. You know, the Ghana is a slight favorite. Um, and I'm sure that line is going to shift to some extent. But when it comes to Nganu, it's a shame. The UFC can't keep the, the, the best heavyweight on the planet. And look, I hope Nganu makes an incredible load of money. Here's the thing. Nganu gets one fight against Tyson Fury. He's going to get smoked. He's going to get destroyed. Oh, but yeah, he's going to make 50 or $60 million. He will get man. badly, badly destroyed against yeah. Tyson Fury. And he would have to have three to five UFC successful UFC title defenses to make that kind of money, assuming he's got an incredible contract. Also, this argument that he was going to be the highest paid heavyweight, yeah, more than Brock Lesnar, only if he can, uh, only if he can get more pay per view buys than Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar gets a shitload of pay per view buys, so I don't believe that. I think that's bullshit. I think maybe in a John Jones matchup that would near a million pay per view buys, maybe eight or nine hundred thousand. Um, I think there he can make you know Brock Lesnar maybe a little bit more money. But outside of that, there's no other matchup where he's going to make that kind of money. So that that line is bullshit. Obviously, Dana White is going to try to shit on him on the way out. Um, I didn't hear this stuff about him being three hundred pounds and and. Uh, and, and all of that. But, you know, there are probably some questions about his knee, right? D- did Nganu keep that in mind? According to Nick Sick, Nganu's head coach, it sounds like Nganu basically told him, like, look, yeah, they're giving me the money that I can appreciate that I want, but this, this the contract, this restrictive contract that is very one-sided, it is going to put me at a disadvantage. I want to be a sellout if I take it. I've been arguing against this lack of health insurance, against uh, against actually like having some rights or some leeway as, as, a, as a fighter, right? If the UFC wants to cut you, they can cut you at any moment, no matter what the situation is. You want to leave the UFC, you cannot do it until you've fought out your contract, period. Or they release you, which is extremely rare. Like, they didn't even release Jose Aldo. They just let him box as long as he doesn't do MMA. So... So, look, they're one side of contracts. And I think that the UFC was too afraid to let this one get a very different form of the contract because it's going to open up the floodgates for other people to want the same thing. They decided that it was not worth keeping this one 35-year-old fighter. Granted, at heavyweight, 35 is more like 30 in other divisions. But still, 35-year-old Ngannou with a serious knee injury, um, is he worth restructuring all of your shit for? Will John Jones request the same kind of restructure whether he wins or loses if Ngannou gets that kind of contract? I think all of that played into it. And uh, unfortunately, Ngannou is going to end up elsewhere. I hope he gets that uh, Fury matchup. I hope that he makes at least $10 million a fight, whether it be in Bellator well, or not, and I don't know nothing, how There's do nothing that. else out there. There's no heavy. There's no heavy. No, there, there really isn't. No, you're right. I mean, Fedor is about to get into his retirement fight. Maybe if he wins that fight, maybe he'll... I don't know, maybe he'll be open to an Nganu matchup. I don't know why I he would. He's going to get that's, clocked once yeah. and it's going to be over. Yeah. But that's really the only other kind of big matchup at heavyweight outside of boxing that I see for Nganu. I know bare knuckle fighting is going to vie for him. Look, maybe Nganu does boxing because his knee is not awesome. I doubt that. I, don't, I tend to think it's not that terrible. But I get where he's coming from. He just gets that one fight in boxing against a guy like Tyson Fury. And he makes more money than probably any UFC fighter has in history throughout their UFC careers. Maybe, I'm sorry, except for Conor McGregor, obviously. But, like, I'm not sure that any UFC fighter in the history of this promotion has ever made 60 or $70 million combined from all of their UFC fights. So this is an opportunity for him, and I hope he cashes out on it at, at this age. And who knows, maybe he'll come back to the UFC at 37 and, and, uh, and do some things. But in the, meantime, uh, in the meantime, unfortunately, the baddest man on the planet is not going to be around. And we're seeing this more commonly where the UFC is very comfortable letting a champion go to a different promotion or what have you um, because they know they can just promote that title. That title and the UFC moniker is all they really care about and they feel like Nganu was not worth it. 
Yeah, it's a bummer. It really, it really is, man. I, w- I would have loved to see Ngannou compete, but also I respect Ngannou for taking that stance and sticking to oh, it. Oh, the things Ngannou, the things Ngannou asked for were great around he- around around health around healthcare and et cetera. I respect the hell out of that because he's the only fighter that has actually stood up for it and stuck to it. Like the guy seems to have seems to have um, uh, what's the word? Integ- integrity. Yeah, the guy's got integrity and he sticks to it, which is extremely rare in the sport. And you and I talked about that last week. Guys like Davis and Figueroa are rooting for for uh, uh, for a coup, basically, for Balserano to, to take over the presidency in Brazil. Like, that's the kind of shit we get in MMA. And then we get an Angano who seems to be a decent human being who wants to fight for other people as well. Um, any thoughts on Strickland versus Imabov, Nick? You were right about that pick, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it went it went the way I thought it would. Um, you know, Strick, Strickland was aggressive and Imabov couldn't set, couldn't set up and... and do what he wanted to, and he had to. It looked like you know he had to maintain his energy. Um, his stamina was yeah. stamina was an issue uh, against that pace. That would not have happened uh, if he was fighting Calvin Gastelum. Um, I don't can't remember if there's any any. I don't even I don't remember if there was anything else on that card worth. Dan Ige, Damon Jackson, Dan Ige with that nasty left hook, man. The kid's got power, dude. Oh, Ige, yeah, I knew that. That went the, that that went the way I thought that it would. Um, exactly how I felt yeah. that it would. Um, we had uh, uh, Kapalov uh, had a, had a good win there. You picked Rebecca, who looked terrific. Um, while, uh, watching Honey Barcelos get slept was was kind of a surprise. Damn. But oh my god, um, yeah. Umar's Umar's got some skills. That setup, no, no, no joke. And that setup was yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I couldn't agree. That's the thing is that setup like it doesn't it doesn't look like a hard punch at all. It, like I know that Barcelos was technically leaning into the punch and that added to it, but I think there's something to Barcelos being 35. I'd imagine he probably was knocked out in the training camp leading up to this, and his chin is probably compromised. Because Umar will say it himself. He's like he, like, he didn't feel that that landed that hard. He didn't think that that would cause any kind of serious damage. It was just like showed a knee and threw a left hand. He didn't, he, he didn't see it coming at all, though. He did, No, you're right. He didn't, and he leaned right into it, man. Um, it's, it, it is a shame to see Honey Barcelos, who, like on paper, there should have been a much more competitive matchup. It was moderately competitive. I think Omar spamming him with kicks was really effective, and he's that guy I talked about last week, how Dagestanis are usually either excellent offensive grapplers or just good range kickers who throw fancy shit all the time. And Umar is literally the best example of the combination of that. Yeah. He's got both elements at a really, really solid level, and he was able to show that off, man. Really impressive. This kid's going to be definitely somebody to watch. And outside of that... Um, I don't think there's anything super mentionable. Jimmy Fleckman did not look good on the comeback and after retirement, like, man, he looked bad against Charles Johnson, who usually takes a whole lot longer than one round to get going. Charles Johnson looked really good, though, but uh, not a whole lot to discuss. Uh, Strickland did a good job. He had his cardio in tow. He was throwing power shots more, which was effective. And Imabov's lack of experience, lack of high-level cardio, lack of a high-level gym affected him, unfortunately. And, and, uh, and, and shot looked, looked pretty good, but... Excuse me. I yeah, do. I do think like he. Lo- the, the I think. Fight. I also think. I don't know. I. I think he leaves his chin out there a bit. Um, but we'll yeah, see. I would say he makes some mistakes and he starts to climb the ranks. We're going to see those holes. If the UFC keeps serving him like these entry level UFC fighters, he's going to do well because he is a prospect. But I do think unless he develops quite a bit in the near future, I think you're right. He's going to get tagged up a bit. Cool. Well, let's and also see. I think potentially taken down. Um. What do we have, just to clo- close out real quick, um, what do we have next? Is there anything next week? I think that's a Derek Lewis. Uh, I forget who he's fighting, but it's that Derek Lewis main event that's happening at like 4 a.m. somewhere. Yeah. For the sake of... Uh, for the- 
Hold on, let me let me uh, find this. Yeah. Oh, what a what a weird fight. Derek Lugas, Lewis, Sergey Spivak, Daun Jung, Devin Clark is the co-main event. Marcin Tabura, Ivanov. Yeah. Oof. Oh. Right. Yeah. Oh, not not a whole lot of great. I don't want Duho Choi versus Kyle Nelson. Is this, is this, is this, that is not a good card. This man. is in Vegas. It's got a lot I, of. I, uh, I believe a lot of Korean, a lot of Asian yeah. fighters on it. I think they're tailoring it. I think they're tailoring it. I think they're tailoring it toward, I think, South Korea, um, just based on some of the fighters that aren't here. And that's why the schedule is so weirdly shifted. Like, these guys will be fighting literally at, like, 4 a.m. or something. The main event might be at 4 a.m., something along those lines. It's it's really kind of crazy. Uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, I guess the card starts. Is, the return is is on, on that Saturday. Korean Superboy after three years. Yeah, which, which, is that really him? Yeah, yeah. that is him. That's fascinating. I, I guess he had to do his military service. Nikolai, that'll do it for this episode. I've got to get out of here. Looking forward to watching UFC 283 and talking about it with you next week, man. You're going down, Stan. I'm fucking bringing it. I like it, Nick. Can't wait. Can't wait.